As we prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In this season, from Easter until Pentecost, we wrestle with what the resurrection means for us and for the world. This year, we're going to explore the concept of apostleship, which I know sounds like a really churchy word, but is really about being sent out into the world to share the good news of Easter. Last week, we heard a story of Jesus sending his disciples that happens at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. And this year, we hear, or this week, we hear a similar story from the beginning of the book of Acts. So we'll be hearing Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Let us hear what the Spirit has to say to the church today. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Benjamin Zander is the conductor of the Boston Philharmonic. He is a renowned speaker and teacher, and in a TED Talk, he shares that only 3% of people in the world identify themselves as lovers of classical music. I'm assuming that this crowd probably is a little more than 3%, but if we polled human beings generally, only 3% listen to and love classical music. So naturally, most classical musicians think they should be working as hard as they can to increase that number from 3% to 4%. But Benjamin Zander has a different idea. 
He thinks this percentage can be increased not incrementally, but exponentially. He operates from the assumption that everyone, yes, everyone, can and should and would love classical music if only they knew how to listen and what to listen for. That paltry 3% is not a function of the music, Xander argues, but of leadership. It's one of the characteristics of leaders that they not doubt for one moment the capacity of the people they're leading to realize what they are dreaming, he says. A leader's passion for their cause must be completely infectious. And the leader must believe that the people he or she is leading can be infected with that passion. Benjamin Zander's passion for classical music is just that. It is inspiring and engaging and contagious. If you have zero interest in classical music, then I would love for you to watch Benjamin Zander's TED Talk and tell me if he hasn't changed your mind. Jesus' disciples, that is a different story. Even though these are the people who get 40 days' worth of encounters with the resurrected Jesus, they get solid proof that God has raised Jesus from the dead. Nevertheless, they don't seem to be the kind of infectious, passionate leaders needed to take this movement to the next level. But Jesus believes they can. In spite of all their encounters with the resurrected Jesus, the disciples just still don't get it. They keep thinking in worldly terms of kingdoms and nations and conquering armies. Is it now, they ask Jesus, that you're going to finally do that Messiah thing and give Israel power over its enemies and oppressors? It's the wrong question to ask, which is why Jesus keeps reminding them right up until the moment he leaves them, that the Holy Spirit is coming. Now in church, we spend a lot of time talking and thinking about what it means to be disciples, those who follow Jesus in an intentional and disciplined way. But after Jesus is raised from the dead, this transition happens to Jesus' followers. Instead of being primarily disciples who follow and listen and learn, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, when it arrives, sends them out to be the leaders of this new movement. So they go from being disciples, the ones who follow and learn, to being apostles who lead this movement to the next place it needs to go. Now, the root word for apostle translates to our English word sent, which is why, as Derek taught the children this morning, the place for sending mail is called the post office. Apostles are those sent by God to lead and serve and love the world. So you may have heard that Netflix, that company that made its name by renting out DVDs through the mail, has announced that that service of sending DVDs through the mail is going to end as of September. I bet there might be a few of you here who still have a DVD or two from Netflix at home, so you have till September to get it back to them before they're going to charge you for it. 
But many of us could wax nostalgic for the movies and shows we first watched through Netflix. And remember that Netflix started when most television was not on demand. And when the ease of receiving and sending entertainment from home without having to navigate a video store, that was revelatory. I still remember the thrill of going to the mailbox and seeing that red and white envelope in it. But Netflix is ending this service because the way we experience entertainment has changed. Netflix had the foresight and innovation to change with it along the way. So even though they kept renting out DVDs by mail, they also created a streaming channel that first was a platform for content that others had created and then became a platform for original content that came from Netflix itself. The leadership of this company knew they had to be willing to do the next thing and not to fixate on what had worked at the company's beginning. Now, I don't think any of us can blame the disciples for what they did after Jesus disappears into heaven on a cloud. That would be pretty incredible. But in that moment, they act like disciples. They keep their eyes fixed on Jesus, even as he's fading from view. Fortunately, just like on that first Easter morning, angels show up with some instructions. And they remind these followers, staring into the sky, that they are not just disciples anymore. Their job isn't to sit and listen to Jesus. It's also not to stand and stare at the last place they saw him, because he's not there anymore. They are now apostles sent by Jesus, which means their job is to get moving, to go to the next place, to do the next thing, to trust that the Holy Spirit is coming to empower and equip them. Thomas Keating served as the leader of a Trappist monastery in Massachusetts for over 20 years. Down the road from that monastery was a Catholic retreat center that had closed and then was sold to a Buddhist group that reopened it as an insight meditation center. When that happened, the monks at St. Joseph's became inundated with young people who would stop by the monastery's guest house, not to visit the monastery, but to ask for directions to the meditation center. Keating was dismayed by this, but also curious. What was it these young people were seeking at the Buddhist center? So he engaged them in conversation, and when he asked them that question, the response was nearly always the same. In the vernacular of the 60s, they would reply, a path, man, we're seeking a path. As Merton continued to, Keating continued to talk to them, he learned that most of these young people were raised Christian. And that led him to ask a different question. Well, why don't you search for a path within your own tradition? That prompted looks of astonishment and the incredulous question, you mean Christianity has a path? Actually, Christianity doesn't just have a path. Christianity is a path. To be Christian is to be sent out, 
to live the way of Jesus. It is to be constantly on the move, looking for the next thing, the next place God is calling, God is sending us to go. It is to respond to God's call to go to all the world and spread the good news. But just like Jesus' first followers, we get stuck thinking like disciples, assuming that to be a faithful Christian means keeping our eyes fixed on the last place we saw or experienced Jesus. Now, maybe that was a physical place. It could have been an experience of God's presence during a difficult season. It could be a tradition or a way of worshiping that we cling to. And maybe we stand and stare because we are in awe. Maybe we want to preserve a mountaintop experience. Maybe we're afraid we don't know how to be apostles. So we fixate on being disciples, thinking it's enough to learn from Jesus. We don't really need to live like Jesus. But we're not just disciples. We're not just students of our teacher and our Lord. We are his apostles, and we are empowered and equipped by the Holy Spirit, sent to the next place where God is doing a new thing, inspired to spread good news of great joy to all people wherever the Spirit compels us to go. Amen.